Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, uh, the podcast. In this case, uh, our latest in the weekly update series. I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan. And uh, we're just going to do a quick run through of uh, what we're hearing, what we're seeing, uh, what we're doing. Um, and so uh, I'll just do as per normal, a quick update um, prevention. Again, I hate to keep uh, harping, but it does still appear that clearly uh, distance uh, and masking uh, dramatically uh, reduces the amount of viral particles since they uh, the droplets can only transmit so far or travel so far and have a very difficult time uh, negotiating through one mask, much less two. And again, the more layers, the more protection for the wearer and in uh, and, uh, and two ways coming out of the uh, infected individual and going in the non-infected individual. Um, some increasing good news on immunity. I know this has gone back and forth. Uh, the latest data that I'm looking at anyway as a non-physician. Um, that the, uh, you know, again, we're looking at antibodies or the normal uh, initial innate uh, and then adaptive uh, adaptive comes later immune responses, but the initial antibodies, um, most of us humans, uh, that's what's activated. Uh, that's what uh, people have been looking at to see how long are, is the antibody um, response uh, active and viable? Um, how long are we immune from the virus or from the disease the virus would give us anyway? Um, and so that's uh, latest data looking like six months, some eight months, some 12 months, some uh, seven months. So it looks around eight months seems to be somewhere the consensus of some pretty, uh, some pretty good studies um, of hundreds of uh, human subjects in this case. But, but again, as we talked about the adaptive immune system and that that continues later to be able to generate uh, uh, antibody responses, um, so the T cells, which are the killer T cells, uh, those look to be viable for eight months uh, to a, maybe a few years. Um, and the B cells also seem to be activated by most of us when we're infected with the actual COVID-19 virus from the SARS-CoV-2, I'm sorry, disease from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, the B cells, though, look to be potentially active for years. And so there could be some of that sustained memory uh, in our immune systems so that we either are not later infected, uh, or if we are again, it's a much, much lower disease level. Um, so good news on the uh, immunity front, it appears so far from the latest data. Um, therapies, still several hundred of all varying types as we've talked about for those of us that have now had the disease activated by the virus um, uh, to help us better manage the virus and its disease and uh, or even clear it. Um, on the vaccine front, this has been one of the most active weeks we, we've had during this uh, 2020 period. So, we've, of course, we know we've got the Pfizer vaccine now that uh, looks to have cleared phase three trials, um, two-dose two protocol. Um, and bear in mind, the second one as well, Moderna, 
has now cleared that phase three trial, it looks like. Also a two-dose protocol, both are these messenger RNA, mRNA, new technology, technology that's been used right now uh, uh, on cancer and other very serious illnesses. Um, and so it's a, one of the most promising technologies evidently uh, in disease prevention and reduction of severity. And um, but the downsides of both of these appear to be that they have to be uh, cooled, kept cooled um, at you know minus 70 centigrade and so on. Um, but the good news is that uh, both of these companies planned accordingly and have been manufacturing uh, for months and months now, um, tens of thousands of these cases that would allow the transport and temporary storage um, so that the vaccine could be administered in more remote, uh, less urban areas. Um, Moderna seems to have a little bit of a head start on uh, not, or at least a little bit of a, a lead on not having to uh, be as concerned about some of this. It could maybe be refrigerated for uh, one to two weeks um, as an interim measure, but exciting news. Uh, both of these companies have been manufacturing millions and millions of these due to the administration's uh, Operation Warp Speed um, support. Pfizer not taking the initial Warp Speed money, but are taking the money for uh, the government buying the actual dosage uh, or the doses at cost. Um, but very exciting. Now, again, the government, the administration, the FDA requires several weeks of safety profile data on the med um, before they'll approve and things like that are happening now. So we may have a vaccine available for administration as early as mid-December. Uh, some of the administration officials are talking about in the FDA. Um, so we also know that the uh, Oxford University AstraZeneca, um, that too, their vaccine has now uh, cleared their phase three trials. And these are large trials, bear in mind, again, 30 to 60 plus thousand human subjects in each of the trials. Um, and so they want to get an idea, is it safe? What do the profiles look like? What, what are the adverse events that might have taken place during the trials and the likelihood that those were because of the vaccine or the administration of the vaccine, um, or, or in some cases the placebo, but of interest, of course, is the actual therapy. Um, so now with three of them uh, now rapidly approaching um, the approval part, um, uh, very exciting news for most of us. Um, and I think that the Astra doesn't require as quite the temperature drop. Um, it's more mobile, uh, may not so far, the data uh, seem to indicate quite as efficacious, um, anywhere between 60 to, to 90% efficacious, bear in mind. Uh, they're also, they have a different uh, technology. They're using um, another virus that's uh, non-activated and competent uh, to deliver it. Um, but it looks like an initial, also a two-dose protocol, by the way, the initial dose, um, if it's lower um, and then you follow up with the second normal dose, the, uh, the dose level that you would expect may be more efficacious than if you deliver two at full dose. Some hypothesize that could be the actual virus that delivers um, the, uh, the needed proteins uh, may be actually something their immune system would react to. And so that could diminish it slightly. Um, but very exciting news that three major uh, research uh, efforts have already, already in just months, delivered very rigorously developed um, and tested vaccine options. Uh, 
that and, and uh, between 100 and 300 million doses have already been purchased by the governments um, and as they're manufactured and delivered. Uh, very rigorous protocol to make sure that each and every uh, batch of the vaccine is up to standard and then each, in fact, vial um, that's ready for the patient and at the transport and storage and then administration are at a rigorous level. A massive global undertaking um, to uh, administer it again as they go through those protocols. Um, another interesting note, I think, around this whole therapy and, of course, the vaccines in particular um, uh, issue is security, which is what we're all about. Uh, so Interpol and others have come out with guidelines based on past experience and research on um, you can imagine in one case it's been described, some of these vaccines could be equivalent of liquid gold. Um, so um, counterfeiting, hijacking, theft, um, and, and diversion are obviously very real with um, anything that's got any value, um, including the vaccine. So you see United States Marshals escorting, you see uh, very high high tech security measures, GPS trackers, um, pretty much every type of technology and uh, and highly trained uh, in-person security measure is being evaluated and adopted um, to protect and maintain the security and the integrity of the vaccines um, and so forth. So uh, just stay tuned on all that. LPRC front, um, we're working away uh, with LP Magazine to come out with some new and exciting things to put out some good information. Um, we're, we are very thrilled about that. <clears throat> Multiple new research projects. This year, 2020 here, um, as we're in the latter portion, um, we've seen several solution partners and retailers come to us now um, with some initial things they've done for improved or combined solutions. So our team is very excited to start to work on some of those projects. Um, more to come later on that. Um, we're working on our next up uh, cluster call in addition to the, the regular, um, obviously our working group calls, but each and every one of those, we're working to get more guest speakers on the seven different working groups that we've got there, uh, monthly teams calls. Um, and uh, the team has worked hard. We've got some new um, mini studies that we're gonna be putting out to maintain the momentum and the excitement. Uh, always our goal here is provide good outcome, uh, outcomes here, actionable information for you all, uh, but that each and every call or engagement in person or by teams uh, is fulfilling as a good user experience. Um, so what I'd like to do with no further ado is uh, head over to my colleague, Tony D'Onofrio. And Tony, can you tell us about what's going on around the world of retailing? Thank you very much, uh, Reed. So again, great insight from you on LPRC and also the vaccine status. So let me start with the uh, latest uh, DND Daily Q3 2020 retail fatalities report just issued. So there were 381 fatalities in retail January through September, and that was up 2% 2, 2 for Q3. There were 128 fatalities down 23%. Total incidents uh, were up 10% to, to 348, but for Q3, the incidents were down 5.7% uh, to 116. Of the 128 fatalities in Q3, 15% were suspects, which was down 42%. 66% were customers, down 17%. 18% were store associates, down 18%. And 1% was law enforcement. 
and loss prevention personnel, and that was down 67%. 39% of the incidents were inside stores or malls. 60% were in the parking lot, which is again, number the zones of influence that we talked about in the LPRC and you understand. Uh, and then 1% was all premise in terms of the importance of having protecting across all the different zones. Of the associates killed, which were 23, 70% uh, were during robberies, 26% was during was a result of workplace violence, and 1% was murder-suicide. 83% were males, 17% were females, and of the total incidents, uh, C-Store was again the number one location, convenience stores at 37%, restaurant second at 14 gas station third at 11%, and malls were next at 8%, and finally in the top five, grocery was at 7%. So that's a little bit on what's happening to retail crime and, and, and also fatalities. Uh, switching to uh, something interesting that I actually published on my social media feeds this week, what were the top five worst passwords of 2020? So number one was, I don't know why people do this, but then the number one worst password was one, two, three, four, five, six. Cracked in less than a second, and there were 23 million exposures of that. The next number two was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Again, again, cracked in less than a second. Eight million of those passwords were exposed. The third one, which this was interesting to me, is picture one. So the word picture and the number one, it took three hours to crack that and there were only 11K of it. Number four was password. So the word password, less than a second to crack it and then there were 4 million exposed, times exposed. And then the number five is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, less than a second to crack it and it was exposed 3 million times. So again, watch those passwords as uh, Tom Meehan likes to continue to remind us the importance of having strong passwords. Uh, NRF this week also issued an update uh, forecast for the holiday season. Sales in November and December will increase between 3.6% and 5.2%. The number excludes automobile dealers, gas stations and restaurants and compares to a 4% increase last year and an average holiday sales increase of 35 percent during the last five years. So online sales will increase 20 to 30 percent, which is not a surprise. A survey of a USA uh, consumers and how they shop from declutter was interesting. And this one, um, especially with the holidays, one in five respondents say likely uh, that they shop uh, drunk basically during the holiday uh, season. 41% admitted to doing it, uh, uh, to do online shopping while under the influence in previous years. This follows a March 2020 survey, which indicated that 58 million Americans spend $45 billion for online drunk purchases in the past 12 months. And the average spend was $736. So watch drink and shop, probably don't, don't go very well together. Uh, and then also this week from the IHL group, uh, the seven uh, Internet of Things or IIT trends for 2020, and here they are. Number one, analytics everywhere. 
Number two, rethinking the, the, the checkout. Number three, edge computing. Number four, real-time uh, offers for consumers. Number five, security matters. One in five retailers deploy less secure mobile devices during the COVID-19 surge just to get something out there. Number six, less smile optimization. And number seven, accurate inventory. Again, this is important because these are the, the things that LPRC can help in terms of optimizing from a science-based point of view, all these IoT technology. And finally, since it is Thanksgiving week, I cannot leave with, without some fun uh, Thanksgiving statistics. So uh, let me go through some of them. Historians have no record of turkey being eaten on the first Thanksgiving. Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national bird. The first Macy's parade um, had central zoo animals as, as what they actually walked down the street. Snoopy is the, is the balloon that's made the most appearances in the Macy's Parade, appearing the first time in 1968. Uh, the first professional Thanksgiving football game took place in 1920. This one was interesting. Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song. The Butterball uh, hotline has, has, had a uh, has been open for the last 40 years. Each year we cook 46 million turkeys. Uh, TV dinners are a result of the uh, invention uh, post uh, Thanksgiving. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving is known as Drinksgiving. Black Friday is the busiest day for plumbers. So I guess a lot of things get clogged on Black Friday. Um, the woman behind Mary Had a Little Lamb is also responsible for Thanksgiving's recognition as a national holiday. Only the milk turkeys gobble. Turkey was actually named after a bird uh, discovered by in the Ottoman Empire in the country of Turkey. That's how we get Turkey. And finally, we eat a lot. So we eat 50 million pumpkin pies at Thanksgiving. So with that, happy Thanksgiving. And I'm going over to uh, turn it over to Tom. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Reed. Uh, Gonna just kick through a little bit, and uh, so today I think I'm gonna not be as repetitive. I, I listen to Tony's stuff, and I'm not gonna run through. But I want to talk about some a recent NPD study related to customer checkout data and credit cards. So credit cards now make up about 82.1 percent of retail in-store transactions. Uh, that's with uh, in the current state versus 78.7 in January of this year. So while it's up, it's it's that's a significant increase in theory. It's not as, as high as some first thought. Um, the credit card fraud numbers uh, are up, but I, I would caution the percent of sales are not up. So there there is some incremental increases in credit card fraud overall in store, but with the sales being down so much. I think we still need to wait till there's a plateau of, of what's going on before we understand what it really means. Um, more than eight in 10 consumers, so about 86%, were victims of identity theft or, or credit card fraud or a data breach in 2020. That's a significant number if you think about uh, the, the population. 86% of them were affected by identity theft, credit card fraud, or a data breach in 2020. That's up about 80% from 2019. So um, 
you can draw some conclusions that there's relationship to coronavirus. I, I don't know that there's an actual statistical relationship of the significance there, but we know that there is, in fact, an increase in attempted attacks. And obviously, with an increase in usage, the landscape is wider. Um, you know, half of half of the people that were surveyed in this study experienced a rise in fishing activity. We talked about that specifically related to coronavirus, people going out and, and trying to gather information. I think in our earlier episodes of the weekly review, we shared a lot of numbers where um, there was just a, a huge amount of false sites out there trying to sell PPE, trying to get information, unemployment related, um, you know, from a business standpoint, the loans, really everything that could gather information. Uh, I think we'll, as this data becomes more readily available, we'll understand what the actual relationship is in the increase in fraud to to corona versus just um, the relationship to the increase in digitization. Amazon, uh, this really in the last 10 days, has uh, released a couple updates to their app and trying to push pickup in store and pickup at locker options really to try to curve the upcoming influx of packages. This is something that happens every uh, holiday season, but obviously with some of the impacts that are going on. So don't be surprised when your Amazon app is pushing you to go to a local store. Uh, expect some incentives. I would I would expect uh, incentives to come to try to get people to pick up. Uh, if you've had anything delivered recently, um, you probably noticed that you know there was a lull uh, early on in the coronavirus. You had these extended delays, uh, dates for essential shipments. Then that kind of fizzled out, and now that's coming back to trying to manage the the, the shipment and it's a fear velocity standpoint. So just keep an eye on your whether it be Amazon or any ecom interaction that you have. Uh, there will probably be some incentive to pick up in store. I know just recently a couple of large retailers had early Black Friday sales um, and they had uh, pretty huge incentives to pick up in store versus getting it shipped. Uh, you know, significant um, uh, gift card offerings and things of that nature. You also should have seen, and uh, by the time you hear this podcast, this will be on that most, if not all, retailers have changed their Black Friday strategy. I know Tony talked about this, uh, I think, last week, where they're making it spread over a longer period of time. This is not just to increase the offering for the sales potential. It also allows to spread out some of the shipping uh, and order processes. It also alleviates some of the stress online. You know, I'm the other, I guess it was two nights ago, I was making a purchase for my kids online. Um, and this is a very large retailer. And I somehow, uh, in trying to order one of something, ended up getting four of something shipped to me. So very difficult uh, product to uh, get uh, sitting here at midnight. It's actually 1 a.m. in the morning when they, these were available for the kids. And it processed four separate orders, which are being shipped to me. But this is an item that had a limit of one. We only wanted one. So... Uh, when I spoke to the uh, customer service person at the representative, they had significant challenges with their online site and one of the bugs duplicated orders. So no, no harm there, except for the fact that there are probably some other folks that really wanted that item that now I'm going to have to return. So uh, you will see those online bugs. It is, it is just um, 
an unfortunate circumstance that occurs when you can do all the testing and and development possible, but when your website has you know pickups of thousands of percent, uh, there are things that occur. And the last thing I'll wrap it up with is, and Reed talked about um, really three vaccines that are, are there are two that are really far along, uh, actually one that's in the approval process, and then another that um, is is just about to get there. Two that require extremely cold storage distribution and one that just requires refrigerated distribution. This will create a logistical nightmare. So one of the things that um, I've been following, and this has to do a lot with my day job, um, is the logistics logistics challenges with trying to distribute literally 50 million um, vaccines in a very short period of time, uh, layering in the cold storage challenge. And Reed had alluded to the blue box that was designed. Well, some of the challenges with the blue boxes, how quickly can they make them? So expect additional logistics distribution um, throughout this vaccine. I, I can guarantee you that if a major carrier is has a choice of carrying a vaccine or your package that they're going to have to carry um, the package and the volume is substantial and there are time uh, time constraints with it so uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on that and um, hopefully i'll have some more updates for that uh, in the next two weeks Think, thinking through some of the technologies that are available that really uh, are heavily used in retail that will help some of those logistics challenges whether it be how we track orders today uh, implementation of rfid or gps to track those shipments are all things that are on the table today to help be more efficient when you're thinking of a very short period of time and uh, depending on what report you read and what you know uh, who you know the the dose the first real bulk of shipments is going to be somewhere between 30 and 50 million dollars that have to be uh, 30 and 50 not dollars unit million units that have to distribute in a relatively short time and when you think about that uh, it's a substantial amount of packages that require special handling that have to go from point A to point B. And obviously, uh, some of the normal carriers will be involved. The other thing that's interesting about some of these vaccines is that there are limitations on flight with them. So uh, it's going to definitely be a logistical challenge. So more to come on that. Back over to you, Reed. All right. Always amazing information from uh, from you, Tom, and you, Tony. Um, I'm sitting here taking notes and learning the whole time as well. Um, but as you said, I mean, it it is an amazing time, and I think that um, it's been horrific in so many ways, but then we've seen uh, there are upsides to this uh, pandemic and this year, 2020. Um, but, you know, with uh, closing in on 800 unique uh, compounds in development for COVID, so many of these will be repurposeful, repurposed for other um, illnesses preventively or to treat as therapeutics. Um, you know, and it's just an incredible use of science and the way that uh, sped up the connection, global connection at every strata um, to allow for the development and the almost real-time sharing of the, any and every bit of data that could be helpful to another researcher somewhere else in the globe um, and at every level and as well, obviously, most importantly, and that's what LPRC is here, but to translate science into practice. So that S2P um, in the medical world has been amazing. Um, and then the same thing we've seen, obviously, with asset protection. And as you were just talking about, Tom, um, you know, protecting the supply chain, protecting these therapeutics and these vaccines is so paramount. 
Um, but that's what we've all been tasked to do here um, with both the tangible places and our people and all the intellectual property to uh, the assets that we protect. I want to put in a quick plug for Crime Science, the podcast. Um, overall, um, we're doing a series of, of in-depth interviews with some of the leading criminologists in the world that are in the, particularly in the realm of prevention uh, and protection. So environmental criminal criminologists, uh, including uh, Dr. John Eck, um, Dr. Uh, David Weisberg, um, Dr. Kim Rosmo, uh, just to name three on top of this stellar um, lineup of criminologists that have been interviewed so far to date. But Kevin Tran and I are working hard uh, to curate um, good questions and good dialogue. And uh, we see, and I'm hearing more and more, where criminology courses, professors, faculty are now including the Crime Science Podcast um, as part of their curriculum, particularly now in the online times, but ways to just talk to some of these um, historic figures in, in this rapidly evolving field, but, but especially those that are, again, trying to translate science, use good science into practice so that law enforcement and laws prevention, asset protection, and others can be more focused, more effective, and creates fewer side effects um, and so on. So uh, uh, signing off here on behalf of uh, Tom Meehan and, and Tony D'Onofrio and our producer, Kevin Tran uh, from Gainesville, Florida, at the University of Florida and at the Loss Prevention Research Council, this Reed Hayes. Everybody stay safe. Have a great Thanksgiving uh, or Christmas or your favorite uh, preferred holiday and event. Um, it's going to be difficult not being able to share so much with family and friends, uh, but please stay safe. Uh, do our best and, and trust me, 2020 will not last forever. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.